This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello, Art of War family, and welcome back to another episode that promises to be one of the funnest ones we've done yet. Uh, hopefully you found us on the Frontline Gaming Network, but if not, what are you waiting for? It's the best place to get access to four of the best competitively focused podcasts on the planet, like Chapter Tactics, Signals from the Frontline, and of course, the second best comp- competitive podcast out there, 40K Stat Center. That's for you, Val. All right. Joining us this week from deep in the jank tank is Mark Perry to talk about chaos with the new Psychic Awakening buffs. Um, in part one, we'll be focusing on Mark's list choices and talk about his overall strategy. And joining us, as always, is my co-host, Nick Nanavati, who is one of the most accomplished 40K players in history. Hey, Nick, why don't you tell us a little bit about Mark and get us started? Yeah, so Mark is actually one of the guys I'll be doing the Obey Alliance uh, sponsorship with down in Tallahassee, moving there next week, literally from Vegas to Florida. So um, I've only played Mark one time many, many years ago. But I'm sure we're going to play a lot more. And since then, he's become quite the powerhouse down in the southeast. So we're here today to talk about his awesome possessed army featuring my least favorite unit in 40K, Obliterators, which I'm going to yell at him for. Uh, So, Mark, why don't you go ahead and uh, talk about your list real quick. Just run us through it. All right, guys. uh, Let me go into the state of it. We have an Alpha Legion Battalion with a Master Possession, a Dark Apostle, and his two little followers. We have Lord Arcos. He's one of the Forge World characters that's also Alpha Legion. Then we go into free Chaos Space Green units with a Chain Axe each because I had three points and take it. Uh, then we have 17 Possessed, free Obliterators, free Obliterators. Then we have Word Bearers. Word Bearers is a Terminator Sorcerer, a Chain Axe Jump Lord, but he takes the Ashen Axe generally most of the time, not always. And then we have Friday Cultists, free units of 10. I have a Nurgle Battalion with two Pox Springers and three units of four Nurglings. And that is the core part of the list. There's a lot of flex here and there and so forth, but I've been just kind of, this is kind of how I've come down for it for LVO and so forth. The next core part of the strategy I would sit there and say is really like, it's a board presence control list. You look at the list and you're sitting there like, Possess can just do a massive amount of damage. We can break, we'll break down that math and so forth, so yada yada, and all the buffs and debuffs that you can do. The real key part of it is sometimes it just puts your opponent into a position where they're like, you have to act and makes them force you into them because they're just like, we're losing board control, we're not killing anything because you make the possessed minus free. And then you just win shooting wars with obliterators that are unshootable. That's the trick. That's the core fundamental strategy of the list. Um, 
Let's just break that down like slowly so that uh, everybody who's not yeah. familiar with the possessed can keep up with all the different buffs going on because it is basically uh, eighth edition Death Star. So yep. what's the whole shield? Like, uh, how do you get them to minus three to hit? Uh, how do they do their damage? What are the strats? Like, what is the possessed star? What is the possessed star? The possessed star is you have the actual possessed unit, which is the core mechanic, as that's why it's called possessed. Is the key factor to them is the fact that they have chaos based screens, our heretic authority's keyword, and they have demon. So they can get both the demon buffs from chaos demons, and they can get the heretic authority's buffs. And then you have your supporting characters, which generally the most of the time your supporting characters are not killing characters. So like the master possession is important because he gives you a four pin bomb every roll once. Cool. That is when you have the dark apostle that you generally take for the minus one to hit. Sometimes you take them for the plus one to win in close combat, but that's only like someone's not going to shoot you. Most of the time you're going to get shot at. Uh, but he rerolls hit. Once you get engaged, he rerolls hits for the unit. Then you have the two pox bringers. The two pox bringers are giving you the Nurgle Loki because they are mono Nurgle demon. The Nurgle Loki is really key for it because it gives all Nurgle demons within six inches six plus to wound is plus one damage. So you have veterans, you have the Dark Apostle in the matchup, so you don't need the minus one to hit, and you have Virulent Blessing from one of the Pox Springers that gives you plus one to wound, and seven pluses to wound are double damage. Okay? So that makes them where they're going to be popping up on with veterans, Virgil Blessing, and um, the Dark Apostles prayer building. I can never remember its name of. Makes it where four... It's the plus one to wound prayer. That's its official name. Yeah, plus one to wound. Whatever it is. I can't do names. Is makes it where it's four damage, and not four damage, free damage each, and then free are two damage. And so, that's really where the fight from the unit comes from. So you start at one damage because you're a possessed. And then yep. if you're within six inches of one of your heralds, on a six to wound, it becomes an additional damage. Um, I guess if you cast the spell of your own blessing on sevens to wound, it's double damage, but you're plus one wound, so functionally six is again. Um, six is again, but yeah. you have veterans and the dark. Yeah. And they all stack. Okay, so on a, on a six, normally it's two damage, and then... With vets, it's a, f a five. It's two damage, and then with uh, the um, the apostle, it's fours. It's two damage, and then yep. for the loci, it'll be fives and sixes. It is actually three damage. Is that everything? Correct. Okay, so uh, tons of damage output here from a one damage unit going to um, fours do two damage, and fives and sixes all to wound do three damage. It's huge. And and how many attacks do they have a piece? So they're kind of like Lutas. They get that D-free attack naturally. You roll for the entire unit, that's how many attacks each of them have. But they still get like Shock Assault, and then you take them as a Demon Kind Ritualist, the Vigilist Attachment. Strengthened uh, attack. So you're looking at D-free plus two at the max. So five attacks is the highest they can get. Yeah, but they average four, which is a lot of damage when you're talking three, three damage and swing. Yep. Are, they, are they strength four? They're strength five naturally. If you give them, um, if you have the stratagem for the plus one attack, it's also plus one strength. And then the Nurgle, the uh, Springer also gives them plus one strength, so they become strength seven. So strength seven is no joke, and oh, it's wow. not like you can get away with it by being toughness eight knights or something like that, because we just covered all those bonus damage things. All, all, all those bonus things, like when you take the plus three. Mm-hmm. 
Plus three to wound means that even if you're wounding anything on fives, it's always going to be yeah. a two. Another interesting thing about Possessed is actually that they are Heretic Astartes, of course. So you have yep. um, Dead to the False Emperor, which has never been as good as it is now, I'd say, since we are in the peak of the Marine meta. I totally agree there. And that's why the Dark Apostle, once they, like, once you get engaged, you pop that reroll prayer for any hit roll, and you reroll once you have prescience up, you reroll anything that's not like a five, six. Okay, cool. I hit on twos. Well, I'm going to reroll twos, threes, and fours because you're trying to fish for more attacks. Oh, so yeah, actually, because you're hitting on twos, even if you reroll your hits, your two, your three, and a four, it's actually mathematically better to roll that die again and try to fish for a five or six. Of course, the chance is there that you roll a one, but that's a one six chance your attack doesn't convert to another or to just misses. And there's a one third chance that you convert it into a five or six, in which case you'd actually get another attack. So it's twice as likely that you convert positively than negatively. So it's actually worth it. That's really interesting. Yep. Yeah. So Mark, let me, let me ask if I kind of understand the strategy of your list overall, you can kind of help me break it down, but the way I'm sort of envisioning it is the possessed take over the middle of the board because you cannot shoot them and you don't want to tangle with them. Right. Because if you tangle with them, um, they're going to, to destroy whatever they touch. Uh, and there's not a lot of things that really want to, at least in the current meta, that want to just trade punches with them in the middle of the board. So you're, you're kind of getting board control that way. And then you said you're putting obliterators behind them. Now, that, they only have a 24-inch range, so you're kind of creating a kill zone. But again, your actual objective is to take board control of the board and sort of scare your opponent into like huddling in a corner, basically. You right? got it. That's it right there. And here's another little problem with most, like with a lot of lists right now is if they're engaging you, it's hard to engage possessed and charge them because they charge with like five or six units. They're going to swing at that first one, not do enough damage. And then most likely I'm going to interrupt and just pick up the rest of their units that haven't swung yet. So it's hard to engage possessed. There's not really much that possessed don't kill like at all. It's because, yeah, that's because they have, even with four attacks each as the average, like three possessed pretty much do just 12 wounds. So, you know, that's a whole squad just gone. No matter yep. what it is, if it's a 10 man. And that's the other thing that they got from the demon Ritualist. I'll be doing it with possessed now for getting close to two years. And we had the demon Ritualist now and jumping from death guard to alpha legion makes them so much more faster. And the max fact that you're, you can't shoot them, strategy them is reactive you don't have to activate it during the start of your turn it's during your part of starting your opponent's shooting phase so, so there's you a, get lot a second a lot more easily yeah yeah and sometimes you stare at like i can just hide them and i don't have to worry about making you unshootable if i just look at the board i'm like i'll just put them here you can't interact with them there's no reason for me to do this or if my opponent just stays out of range and in his mind you know sometimes people are like i'm not gonna be able to shoot them i'm just gonna go out of range and they're not going to force me to spend the 2CP. Yeah. Always force me to have to spend the 2CP to do it. What's the defensive stats on them? Like how hard how hard is that possessed Death Star to deal with? I mean, obviously, if you stack your buffs correctly, they're minus three to hit, which is a huge deal. Like that's... Could you break down how you get to minus three to hit also? Just in case. So the minus three to hit comes from... Um, words, English. Sometimes I'm bad at it. Comes from the Alpha Legion over 12 inches. Then you have miasma, miasma, which gives you plus one and, or minus one. 
And then you have the Dark Apostles Prayer. It happens on the two-up because, you know, we have little helper boys. It gives you minus one from a range. So that makes it a minus three. Unless you're, if you're within 12, it's only a minus two, though. That's the key part. Interesting. So Alpha Legion, minus one if you're outside 12. Uh, Dark Apostles Prayer. So you have two Dark Apostles. You can get both off plus one to wound and minus one to hit. Um, and then the Miasma, which is the spell that goes on to a six. Um, but that's only for shooting. For combat, are they they would have Miasma for minus one. Is there anything else for combat durability-wise? You have combat durability. You're going to have the Master Possession for the four bin bolt. Okay, and that's another spell? Yeah, it's another spell. Okay, so basically all of the sources thing. come uh, from a lot of different buffs coming all at once, like Alpha Legion over here, Pox Spreader over there, this Dark Apostle, that Dark Apostle, Master Possession. There's no lin one linchpin character, which I find really interesting. A lot of armies that try to do this do settle around like one guy who's really important, like... Uh, an Elder Army, you just kill the Protect guy and life gets easier, or you kill the Fortune and Doom guy, life gets easier, that kind of thing. So um, does, is that kind of how you, I don't want to get too deep into matchups, but against sniper-based armies or people who can actually kill your characters, does it matter to you if they pick off any one character more than the other, or is it the fact that they have to really kill all of them to reduce your effectiveness? They generally, there's always like that, there's that matchup dependent. Like sometimes... The plus one damage from the Pox Springers is more important than the four pin bolt. There's all these little ones that's all matchup dependent, which characters to go afterwards. Awesome. So, like, so yeah, like we can go deep into that. Go on, ahead. Sorry, in the second episode. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was saying we can go No, deep. I was about to say the same. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so, um, let's talk about the, the non possessed portion of your list because I think that's where we see a lot of variation in the different possessed lists. Um, I know TJ Lanigan is still running the Thousand Sun Supreme Command and Plaguer's Crawlers, um, and some other players are running things like the Epitome. Uh, why, why did you settle on the choices you took? Like, <coughs> excuse me, I, I couldn't uh say this the straight face double obliterator. So, originally, it started off with one obliterator. Uh, unit because obvious reasons. Uh, it was just obvious like reasons. Oh my god! For obvious <laughs> reasons, it was just a dome firepower that chaos normally doesn't have access to. Uh, the original vari variation of this list I was doing was with, uh, Death Guard, and the Death Guard was very much a slow board control uh, list that didn't have any guns, and that was a major weakness of it. Is that early game or that mid game? If my opponent was just playing super cagey, I didn't have a w safe way to interact with them without exposing myself. Right. So the obliterators allow me to push on while still being able to uh, pick off targets, being able to get those skills on those scouts or those five intercessors, or deal with flyers. Like flyers is something that chaos has historically had a problem with dealing with because, like, our list, if you kill a flyer, you probably expose the important character for all the other flyers to jump onto of all kinds of lists. So that's, that's something in there that's meant to help cover the weaknesses that the possessed can't handle. So I know a lot of players who run obliterators, I don't know why, but um, when they do, they usually only run one unit, and that's often to show up, double shoot, maybe even death hex something, that's it, pressure and sit, and go to work. You have two, which um, I find really interesting, because that's a lot, that's two units to buff, and you really only can buff one any given turn, and two units to protect, and you only have one conceal. Um, how do you manage having multiple units, and why did you go for multiple units over more support stuff? So the real reason why is because it gave me a failsafe in case one unit came down and, like, targeted smites or, like, certain type of things, like, damaged it. 
our my opponent had a really key part for list that I just needed to kill, but I need a unit that can just throw at it, sack it, and just say, hey, look, it's this damage. I didn't expose the rest of my army. I didn't overextend with the rest of my force. I just ex overextend with this one unit. And then uh, sometimes I'm using it for like a tricky, more trickier play where I'm deep tracking one unit over, he on the, over here and one unit over there, make my phone, it goes towards one or the other. And whichever one he goes after, the other one just go back off board they, the Alpha Legion 1 CP is at the start of the movement phase. If they're not within three inches of an, three inches of an enemy, is you just put them back in the deep strike. And I'll do that late game with a unit of having a Y sacking one. Sometimes to get my opponent to feel like I need to kill those obliterators. They'll try to they'll try to expose themselves to kill them while I still have a second unit to come through and punish them. Gotcha. So basically, it's it's kind of your version of my grab pod. It just goes out there, solves a problem, and then your second unit can function like the rest of your army and be more synergistic. Exactly. Got it. And is that why you've opted for the triple battalion variation so you can actually afford to do all these things? Yep. Um, if I felt like if I had a drop, I feel like it was hard for the possessed and the obliterator to function at the same time at two battalions, even with just one unit. But I opted for the third because I just I, I kept running into doing the math and I'm like, I could do a supreme command of war bears and just not even take cultists because I hate cultists. Yeah. I can get this upper character to replace them. Cool. But that loses four CP. Is it, do I save like 60 points for buying a warp smith and get four less CP and get 60 more points? Or do I just spend the 60 more points and get four more CP instead of, you know, that one for the screen? Right, game? right. Uh, I guess fundamentally chaos has always had this issue, right? It's like you can trade. You like you you take these bad units, cultists, and you get command points to make your good units, possessed and obliterators, uh, function. So, how do you cope with the fact that you're playing or you're trying to play a denial base list um, with possessed standing in the middle, doing board control, minding their own business, don't come near me, obliterators you can't shoot, you know you have all these unkillable things, and then you have all this crap running around the table just giving up kills. How do you deal with that? So the cultists are really the only ones that are straight up like easy to kill and a lot of times with them if if it's a very sh shallow deployment zone i'll just throw them at my opponent and try to sit and try to make them have to deal with them for the first turn and just kill them all mm -hmm. or if it's a deeper deployment zone a lot of times like things that are getting them are artillery thunderfire kansas is, is the best example of this currently yeah and if it's a deeper deployment zone those thunderfire cannons are not going to be on my front lines you have yeah, about a deployed on their front lines yeah yeah, they're not going to be putting their front lines or even on their mid lines. They're going to be probably like six inches away from the board edge. So mm -hmm. they're not there. If they're just too forward, that puts them in an exposed position to the, you know, closer to the possessed, the worse it can be. So most of the time people try to all play kind of aggressively with the possessed in some of our aspects of my list and force my opponent to go as far back as they can. And then I'll just put the cultists end up on the back edge. And my opponent will sometimes think that's going to be my easy kill is just killing the cultists. And then I've, I'll just keep those cultists on those back end for the screening the backboard for four turns if needed or three turns. And then they'll go up and grab objectives after I've already engaged you and you can't afford to put firepower into the cultists to deal with what's in front of you now because it's in that stage of the game. Yeah. No, that makes that sense. Is, that, is, that is interesting. One thing I wanted to ask you about because I think one of the one of the powerful parts about the possessed is they have a pretty ridiculous threat range right like they project a lot of force across a lot of the board so that's one of the like 
you're talking about the Thunderfire cannons is what made me think about that because the possessed actually kind of forces them to to back those puppies up because they don't want to get them wrapped or yep. trapped that kind of thing right so like can we go through sort of what makes the possessed threat range pretty good so the key thing to remember is like they have a seven inch movement okay we're chaos we have warp time so that goes to a 14 inch movement once you double move and your word bears unless you're you really putting yeah, you're auto-casting a spell if you fail it. The only way it's being negated is if your opponent's being aggressive and like they have a negation like World Leaders, uh, Iron Hands, Sisters of Battle, and what's Black Templar. That's the only way they're going to stop your warp time because that's why the Ward Bears are so important because of the fact that it auto-casting prescience or warp time. Um, But really, is it's that 24 inches, then your max charge range is... 12 inches, so anything within 26 inches is within a charge range for Possessed, okay? Turn one, it gets a little faster because you have the Alpha Legion Scout move, which is an additional 9 inches. Makes it 35 inches turn one from the tip of their deployment zone that can charge you. So a lot of times you win deployments by pushing your opponent into the back end because they can't, can't afford if they don't know if they're going to go first or if I'm deploying first and going first. You can put them on a back foot. You can immediately establish board control in the deployment phase. Gotcha. So what it, is the basically, do you kind of fake out your opponent, like deployers possessed like really aggressively, I guess, and then, you know, I have this 9-inch pregame move, and then I can warp time, and I have this 35-inch threat range from the tip of my deployment zone. And then, of course, he's going to have to counter-deploy that because who can get charged by possessed turn one? That's how you lose the game. Um, so... They're going to deploy really far back, and then you can actually then just chill. You don't have to run straight at them. You can just mind your own business in the middle of the table, ideally using conceal or just being out of line of sight to stay alive, and then just score, hold more, potentially the bonus point, project a huge threat from the middle of the board, that kind of thing. Is that how you normally play? You got it right there, man. Hit the nail on the dot. Awesome. So despite your possess being like a super awesome combat Death Star, it's fully capable, but it's really is realistically it's more of a board control tool than practical usage. exactly that's really interesting um so and then i guess your way of handling this makes a lot of sense now i'm saying it aloud like this tj and his variation uses like thousand sun smite spam and three play bridge crawlers to basically interact with the opponent from us from a distance and that way i'm staying in the middle with my possessed and my characters and you're staying far away and I'm smiting you off the table, or I'll kill a unit a turn with like 100 smites and plague crawlers, which is kill, kill more. Because the other guy theoretically doesn't kill anything, can't shoot anything, and I got hold, hold more. So I'm up four to two over and over and over. The other guy has to come to me, and doing that just turns my possessed on, and then they go to work. And you're basically accomplishing the same thing with obliterators, is that right? Correct. That's the reason why I took Obliterators over the Thousand Suns is because I really like the Ward Barrier support because I already talked about auto casting spells is huge. You also generally take the Relic on the Terminator Sorcerer to get him no extra spell. So he has Miasma. So you auto cast Miasma if you feel like you fail it. Oh, because Miasma doesn't have to be the Nurgle. It's, it's a Nurgle Demon spell, but it's also a Chaos Space Marine spell. Correct. Interesting. Yeah, that's very clever. Yep. So in the match before, I know Miasma is like super key. He takes Relic and he gets plus one to cast his spells and he knows one additional power. So he knows Prescience, Warp Time, Miasma, 
arguably like the three most important chaos base brain powers to know. And, you know, he only knows two casts is the trick. He only knows two casts. But, you know, when you're already engaged, all you need is that miasma and that prescience. Yeah. And then the next part of that is the Ashenax. The Ashenax is something that's been catching little people off guard in some of my test games. And it is the no-fall back relic on a Chainax. Jump Lord. And that's, so how, does, how does that work? It's just if you're in combat with that guy, you can't fall back? You cannot fall back unless you have Titanic or Vehicle Keyword. Oh, it doesn't work on vehicles, but everything doesn't else. doesn't work on like flying, Basic flying screens like swooping hawks, suppressors, that kind of thing. Yep, Gun that's stuff grabs. Riptides. Yeah, riptides. Yeah. Yep. There's a lot of stuff that's pretty good against, for sure. So, Yeah. Interesting. So you don't. You said you don't take that every game. What are the factors that make you not take it? Obviously, you wouldn't take it against like a knight army. Um, a knight but, army, a never CC yeah. list. Like if I'm going to be, no, I'm going to be fighting you in close combat. That's going to be where the game's won. I wouldn't worry about taking it. So like if you were to fight my white scars, you wouldn't take it. No, and most likely I wouldn't take it against. Um, most marine okay. variants, just because like half the time you can just trap sinks. Marines yeah. are like they're tough chassis. There's only when they get grabbed, they get grabbed. They're not going to go anywhere. Yeah, they're not. They're they don't mind being combat because they're tough. Exactly. Um. Interesting. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just uh, acknowledging it. So you have some other unique list choices. Um, you have larger squads of nerdlings. If this is that right, um, that's something I think is really clever. Yeah, but it's never it's not common. Most people just take the three mans and they're done with it. What made you go for larger nerdling squads? So these are actually minimum of what I wanted for larger squads. I normally like five man, but I had to make cut points. I was like, oh, oh these God. are minimums. I'm sorry. I'm used to your old list that has the five mans. Yeah, the five mans. This is this is the four mans because I'm like cut more possessed. I'm like, nope, can't do that. <laughs> oh. Yeah. And the reason for larger man nerglings is because I do the math of like Thunderfire Cannons. Uh, versus Nurglings. They kill, like, on average, like, a stand, maybe a stand a turn, each Thunderfire Cannon. If it's a free man unit, you're going to get an easy turn one kill off of that Thunderfire Cannon bit, which is knocking out one Nurgling unit, three Thunderfire Cannons. Uh, yeah. So you don't get on that, you don't, you don't, you're not super efficient at a four or five man unit. You're not confirmed killing by math um, getting a Nurgling unit. But the real other reason was because of the, um, the uh, Scorpionus from Admit came out. And I've been running Freeman Nurgling units for since like the Dawn of Eighth Edition. And then, well, Scorpionus came out with indirect fire rounds, two damage, and my Nurglings were just like, I need more Nurglings. I need enough Nurglings that I can time them dying in the first early game, but they do their job and they protect the possessed. That's the key part, <laughs> is having enough Nurglings that they can survive for those first three turns where the possessed are unshootable. Yeah. And I'm sure that's also a huge deal against Tau with SMS. Those armies with like a token amount of indirect fire. Uh, mm -hmm. Having those extra nerving bases just means they're never going anywhere. Yep. Interesting. That's I really like that list choice. And when I built Chaos lists after seeing you do it, it's actually something I've tried to put into my armies as well. It's very clever, uh, very useful. They also benchmark. make like engineers units sometimes, like a five-man unit of Nerglings on the backfield as, as you know, your... Engineers, your opponent's like, I have indirect fire. I don't have the right to have indirect fire to kill 40 wounds of nerglings. <laughs> no, absolutely. And then I guess the last weird list choice, uh, 
Lord Arcos. What what does he even do? What is this man? So Lord Arcos is a forge world character, but his main trick is he is naturally minus one to hit. He can get a warlord trait, which he's the warlord, for minus one to hit. You then his have his alpha legion minus one to hit. And then you dark apostle him for additional minus one to hit. Okay. Yeah. So that makes him minus four. But really the key thing about him is he infiltrates like a, not like a scout, more like you'd have the stealth teams from Tal infiltrate. You know, uh, I'm, not, I'm not super familiar on their specific rule. You want to just go through it? Okay. It's more than 12 inches away from the enemy's deployment zone and models. All right. So I believe it's just models. I think it's just enemy models. I think they can be seven inches deployment zone. There's a weird wording on it. Um, he can be set up. He can be set up in front of the possessed, and then you can dark apostle him, make him minus four without taking the first turn, without having priority on the first turn. Mm-hmm. Hide behind Nurglings. And then he's out here on the front camping in front of the possessed. And the possessed can't uh, because so the Nurglings are, are closer, but they're hidden. And Lord Arcos can't be shot because he's minus four. He's, he's ahead of the possessed. But the Nurglings are just hiding like little boys and girls. They're just, no, we're not going to be, don't fight us. Save us, please. <laughs> um, that's a trick. And the reason why he was important, because he sets up in front of him, and him having a minus four uh, means he won't, be- he won't die to, like, eliminators or things like that. Exactly. So let me just break down the trick here. Um, basically, the conceal stratagem works is that you can't you, you put it on the possessed in this example and you can't shoot the possessed unless they're the closest visible target right so if mark was to take his nerdlings and hide them behind a wall and then use the conceal stratagem well the possessed are still the closest visible target because they can't see the nerdlings and obviously mark doesn't want to put the nerdlings in the open because they're nerdlings they're all just going to die so mark is putting his nerdlings behind a wall pretty far forward i guess and then Behind them, but clearly in the open, Lord Arcos saying, please shoot me, um, which usually is fine because he's got the character keyword, so he can't really be targeted. But we do live in the age of eliminators and, and actual sniper fire these days. So being a minus four to hit character, he's actually still safe from that kind of crap. So that guy is going to be closer and visible to the enemy than the possessed. So the possessed can't be shot with conceal strategy up. Uh, the character can't be shot by normal guns because nerdlings. And nerdlings can't be shot by normal guns because walls. So basically, minus some indirect fire into nerdlings or some sniper fire into minus four to hit Lord Arcos, nothing gets to shoot. Exactly. That's why having more nerdlings is important to survive that indirect fire for like two or three turns. It makes a lot of sense. Um, I guess, are you worried about him being... Hold on, hold on, hold on. I just want to comment that that's really gross. So you basically... (laughs) Sorry. You just take the shooting phase away from your opponent, right? I guess they can maybe shoot cultists if they're in range, but like you said, in long deployments, they'll be on the backboard edge, and uh, you're pushing That's... them back. You're with um, you're pushing them back with the threat of the possessed, right? So you're creating a situation where your opponent's literally not going to have shooting phases. Yeah, that's the original core idea. Yep, it started with Death Guard, and now we come here. We have Alpha Legion. Yeah, it's really effective, and a large portion of why I've moved away from Iron Hands for uh, the LVO meta. It's just, if you can't shoot, bringing the gun line probably isn't a good idea. 
And let's um, face it, like, we have more possessed showing up over here, like, more names with possessed showing up for LVO than I attended. I yeah, was uh, you're going to have to like, bring possessed. Even, like, uh, you and TJ, of course, were to be expected. But now we have, like, Alex Harrison from across the pond bringing possessed. And who knows who else that I'm not even thinking of right now. Uh, last I checked, I believe Jim was taking it. Oh, Jim Vessel, yeah, he helped on the possessed yeah. trade. I forgot. That's I was right. really happy about that. He's like, he wasn't sure about it. And then we played at Charity Hammer. And I'm like, I'm happy. I brought him back. I brought him back to chaos. You brought him back. You got to convert me back after I moved to Florida, Mark. All the time. I'll make you also convert you to the Yonari. Yonari. I haven't played Yonari in quite some time. <laughs> but anyways. Don't, don't worry about it. It's bad. <laughs> um, okay. So I think we got a pretty good grasp of how your strategy works for this tournament um before we yeah. before you move on nick i think we probably owe it to our listeners to talk about the obliterators like can we talk about how much i hate them please <laughs> you you talk about because it worked we, we can talk about that but one thing i will point out one of the things that i think you just i'm not going to put words in your mouth but i've heard you say this before one of the things you dislike about obliterators is they're only range 24 right am i yes that's right? a huge thing i dislike about them they're right. very but, discreet if you compare them to TJ's list, what's the range on a smite? No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. right. So you're, it's interesting that they're both applying the same type of pressure in their list at kind of a short range, 24 inches, but it seems to work because of everything else in the list, right? So, so yeah, you're on to something here, John. And as much as I hate obliterators and love every opportunity ever to make fun of them, uh, I think it's worth pointing out that – Yes, the theoretical problem with obliterators or smite spam in general is your opponent can use screens to protect whatever he cares about. Um, so use scouts or in intercessors, uh, tower drones, whatever have you these days. The problem is that between TJ's epitome or Mark's Ashenax man and obviously possessed or possessed, if you push those screens forward to deal with oncoming obliterators or Thousand Sun smite spam, you're now getting closer to the things that will just absolutely murder you. And that's really bad. So you can choose which poison you want to die by. Death by thousand cuts, that smites, death by obliterator bomb, or screen it all and then die to possessed. Right. And I mean, the problem is, right, if somebody, like, if Mark gets a wrap off or gets the Ashen Axe in there and stops you from falling back, uh, and then suddenly there's this 17 man unit of possessed that kill everything they touched in the middle of your deployment zone, like, that's a disaster. That is a complete and utter disaster because, like, for a lot of lists, you can't you can't shoot it. You don't really want to engage it. So, like, what do you do? Like, you're just, I think, pretty hosed in a lot of situations, right? So, yeah, you can't do that. So, I don't know. Like, I think it's a pretty clever list because it's it's a list. I think that if you look at it, if you don't understand what's going on or you don't understand all the interactions, you're gonna get pwned. You're like, you're gonna get absolutely obliterated. Because there's so many interactions and and different yeah. things that you're causing, right? So I think this is a really good podcast for our listeners because you know, they're gonna come up, they're gonna come up against it. it. I don't know. Like I'm a I'm a new player, right? I've been playing since May. I look at that list and I'm like, I don't even know what this does. It doesn't look like it does anything. There's like it has that effect on people. I found yeah. where it's like they just don't know what it does because it's got all these rules and all these buffs across like four codexes and things just happen. I feel like and people just don't really know what's happening and then they lose. Um, a big part of dealing with chaos is knowing what it does. So right. uh, you got to start somewhere, guys, and Art of War is a great place to start. <laughs> yeah, guys, like this is where you discuss this type of stuff. Come listen right. more. 
One of, one of the things I find interesting, um, at least speaking at it from a new player's perspective, is if I compare this list to like a classic TJ slash Jim Vessel, Plague Bearer, Shamble Forward, and I Smite You, like you might sit down across from this list and it is a completely different animal because this list has got like aggressive threat ranges and it's like going to get I, in your face. I would equate it to a very similar play style, actually. Like they both stay in the middle of the table and blow you up from 24 inches away. Mark's doing it with the obliterators. TJ's still doing it with Thousand Suns. It doesn't really matter. Right. And uh, you can't interact with it. Much like Plague Bears, functionally you couldn't because they're just too hard to shoot at at the time back in the day. Yeah. Um, but the, then, difference yeah, is, the difference is this one can actually kill you in combat now too. Yeah, because yep. it, can, it can project force like a boss, right? Um, so here's right. really the key with this list. is you look at it and you realize that this list, when you sit down the table and you understand it, it sets the tempo. It comes down and immediately says, I'm going to take the driver's wheel in the first turn of the game. I'm going to try to control the tempo and how this game will flow. I'm going to try to set that standard. Evan, it's up to your opponent to try to fight back. That is the core idea, is it grabs. It takes the steering wheel of the game, puts your opponent in shotgun, and says, try to take it from me. That is the core idea. It can fight in close combat. It can be super fast, grab you, smack you around. But at the same time, it can also play really far back and just play passive and force your opponent and says, come on, do something. No, yeah, I, I did. I love I the have, flexibility to it. Yeah, I know. I know. We'll talk about matchups later. Um, but do you ever have worries? Well, I guess you can't actually shoot the possessed, so it doesn't matter. I was just thinking, like tremor shells might be a problem, but that doesn't really matter <laughs> because with conceal, like they never get to shoot it. But and by the time they can shoot it, you're already in the middle of all their their stuff, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, so from a without going into specifics, since you can't, you're, you're so deep in the you can't interact with me in the shooting phase plan like you have the minus three to hit you have the conceal strat but you're still not that top in combat you're minus one to hit which is something but not the be all end all as far as things are concerned these days and you have four bend bolt which is good but also that's manageable so like if a unit of centurions or shining spears something very hitty just slams into your possessed because they're probably faster uh, being between deep strike and charging or just moving 40 inches in the Spears case or anything like that. Uh, is that not a concern? It is a concern. That's where it comes down to more of a chess game because you got to realize that like the possessed unit itself is huge. You're talking about 17 to 20 models. That's 20, you know, let's say on the larger end, that's 20 models that have a four pin bone and a minus one to hit with two wounds each and a free up armor save. So like realize that like it's it's common for me to like get charged by something and they pick up like seven or eight possessed. Yeah. But then I interrupt and then just pick up everything else that's remaining in the close combat. Yeah, that's actually one thing I found and one thing that deterred me even further from Iron Hands is basically uh if I tried to kill the possessed with if I when I my iron hands get stuck in combat through a rap, <coughs> I solve it by if it's a small unit throwing a Dreadnought into it or throwing a Smash Captain into it and just being done with it. And if it's a large unit, like Orcs or some other Horde-type thing, I just slam 30 Intercessors into it across six units and weight of attacks will be weight of attacks. I can't do either of those here because if I slam the Dreadnought into the Possessed, I'll kill four or five. And, uh, on a good know, day, you'll kill four. On a good day, yeah, yeah. Like, he still has a four at um, And then, either way, there's 15 left, and then I'm dead. Mm-hmm. Or if I charge like 30 guys into it across five or six units, 
one unit goes, kills two possessed, 15 interrupt, and I lose the other 25. So unless you have one big powerful thing, like, and I mean really big powerful, it's not going to get done in close combat either because that interrupt is so devastating. That is the key part. The thing that you have to worry about is like certain type of like debuff spells setting the unit. Or if your opponent, like if I've just spread the unit out too far, I can't get enough attacks on you. So like that's why it's like if you see Possess on the other side of the tabletop, this is for anyone who's listening, is if you see Possess clumped up, it's, that's not the time to engage them in close combat. Let them spread themselves out. Let them try to like get a little greedy with their board presence. Yeah, let them try to overextend, stay on three objectives at one, spread out, that kind of thing. Yep. Make sure, like, you're looking, like, don't gauge the unit in the middle. Engage it on, like, one of its corners or flanks where it has a few models on there. And go on multiple places where they can't, you know, they can't fight everything. Like, there's so many other models that are not going to get attacks. It's kind of like, um, I'm trying to sit there and say, it's, you don't fight it on a 1v1 scale. You try to fight it on like a 2v1 scale while the other, like half of it is on the other side. Like you can't fight it all at one time. Don't fight it all at one time. Fight little small chunks. Yeah, it's, it's almost like you have to trade one unit at a time for killing some possessed. You know what I mean? Like you can't, yep. you can't go into them all at once. You have to take it piecemeal because you're yep. not... That's not an effective strategy. One thing that sort of occurs to me in thinking about ITC, your list seems like it'd be very strong in ITC because it doesn't give up a lot of kills. Um, so you And you also control the board. So in, in a lot of situations, you can be doubling up on primary scoring, kill more, and hold more. Is that what you found in your experience? Uh, generally, definitely on the hold more. And it's easy to get the bonus in, let's say, like four of the missions. Uh, more like three. One of them is a little iffy. Uh, but the kill sometimes like like if you don't have like enough indirect fire, the stuff that you're gonna kill immediately is like the nerglings. That's gonna be the immediate like I can do damage to it most likely. But if you don't have the right type of indirect fire, you may not even get that. So I find like I most of the time I'm getting hold more. Turn one, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> I'm not generally getting kill more. And sometimes turn one, I'm not getting a kill at all because my opponents just played super cagey and they were just. They're too scared to try to figure out what this does by engaging it. And they have a rough idea, but they don't know the true ins and outs. And they'll get lucky and like maybe like kill an ergling unit or something small. And they'll just they'll just get killed more by killing one unit. Because sometimes I don't kill anything turn one. Um and then the following turn is when I start trying to rack it more. Like I'm trying to get my kills and my kills more possibly with the obliterators. Nice. And then, so also from an ITC standpoint, I feel like you, you do a lot of the stand here missions well. Like recon's probably very doable for you. Engineers seems to be very doable depending on the matchup. Um, yeah, maybe even King of the Hill. I don't know if you would go for that one. That one's kind of tough to do. Um, yeah, I wouldn't worry about King of the Hill. Um, really, you're looking at like, you know, like you said, engineering, recons, and then those are the two core ones that you can easily like... Ground. Out of curiosity, would you ever <coughs> make the possessed an engineer? Because if you are planning on standing in the middle doing nothing a lot, it's a pretty good well, engineer. I would do it in certain type of matchups where I know that my opponents take that take that risk of like like if I would have to worry about my opponents looking at my list, I'm like, if they're gonna charge me at their list, like as a whole as an army, do I just lose? Cool. If I have that if I have to worry about that, then I'm not gonna take engineers. But if I feel like they can't engage me as a whole as an army. 
on the possessed, I'll take engineers and I'll force them to come to me. I'll force them to try and charge me. Therefore, I can interrupt them. That's actually exactly what TJ did to me. He made his, <coughs> excuse me, he made his possessed engineers in a game he played recently. And then uh, I couldn't do anything about it. So he just scored four points. It sucked. The, the games that you don't want to make them engineers is like lists that have really high sustain and they have a lot of staying power. Because if they just like sacrifice small little units or like, you know, like they just engage me in the right type of places and just try to be a nuisance, uh, then I probably I may not kill them. I may get I may lose an engineering point or two because of small little micro things happened that don't normally happen, or they just they were smart in how they engage me. Yeah. Those are the matchups I won't take that because like if my opponent has a high sustain. And what do you mean by high sustain? You mean like they have a lot of small units they can run into your possessed? So that means either like they got really tough units or they have lots of units. Like their list can lose a lot and still survive. Like sometimes so like, something like Gene Sealer Cult, for example. Gene Sealer Colts, uh, look at guard lists. Guard lists can take massive casualties and still keep kicking and still keep going. Marine lists, yeah. like our hands lists generally have some, like some of their builds have some really high sustain. They can take lots of punches. Yeah, 200 orc boys, right? Something 200 like orc boys, yep. Those lists have like late game. They generally have a lot of stuff still surviving. Yeah, makes total sense. In those games, you need your possessor to be doing more active stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. Checks out. Um, so is there anything you would change about your list for other formats? So like say you're going to take this to um, an ETC or um, well, obviously no Forge World. That kind of makes a difference. You lose your character. Um, I, don't think or, he, I don't think he's necessary. I think he's just like a nice bonus, bonus right? Would you say he's necessary? He's not necessary. He's just really nice. He's open. He's really nice for a open style tournament when I don't know what I'm going to play. It's like there's weird things that I can just get paired against, but I need a tool for this matchup. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely a tool in the toolbox. I can see that. Um, or maybe a Nova format. Is there anything you might change? Like, if, I feel like your list plays across formats pretty well because it's. Very denially. I, I try to do that naturally. Like, that's just like, I like playing 40K and I don't like, I like looking, I look at like formats and like I study them and like build towards it, but it's only like micro things that I make adjustments for it. I like to build a list. I'm like, okay, cool. I could pick this up. It's good. Just 40K. Like, I feel like I can play it in just any 40K and have, I can do something. Yeah. Because- to be honest, we ask that question every episode, and sometimes we get a different answer. But more, more often than not, a list that's good at 40K is good at 40K. At its core, 40K is hold the objectives, kill the other guy. So, exactly. yeah, there's, there's things you take, like I'm actively choosing not to take four vehicles to not give a max big game winner or something like that. But realistically, a good list is a good list across formats. Yep. Yeah, let's talk about – like does, your list is actually pretty hard on secondaries too, right? Because – you don't have a gangbuster people get on you. They, they can't take recon. That's a disaster, I feel like. Um, like, I think choosing secondaries against you is actually kind of tough. So I have actually built a list a little bit with secondaries in mind that bait people into taking secondaries against me. Headhunters, like something that, you know, you play chaos. Well, I got to kill my, everyone's mindset's like, if characters don't die, I'm probably losing this game. So I'm going to take headhunter. Easy. My list actually now has max gangbusters because the six obliterators. One of the tricks that I've been doing with this is looking at my, okay, cool. My opponent's taking, obliter- taking gangbusters. Well, one unit obliterator is just going to be safe the entire turn. Well, I'll take the every unit, hide it for like 
the first four turns of the game and then jump it out in the late game or try to force my opponent to play more aggressive to try to get those gangbuster points. Because if they don't get any they don't get any gangbuster headhunter points, they're probably gonna lose. <laughs> and you also have that strat that Alpha Legion have now to redeploy units or put them back in deep strike rather. So that could be really useful for that late game obliterator bomb. Exactly. Definitely if you get the bottom of the turn. Yeah. Sneaky, sneaky. How much damage does a unit of three obliterators do? Can you guys walk me through that? I know they do a chunk of damage. Anywhere between nothing and definitely nothing. That's the best way to put it. Like, <laughs> like I, don't, I don't look at them with hard targets and say, I'm going to kill this hard target. I don't depend on that. What I look at is like, so I'm like, okay, if I, on worst case scenario, can I this obliterator unit plink this unit to death? That's how I'll look at it because like it's still 18 shots at seven minus one one damage on the worst kit day scenario. So I'm just gonna sit there and look at my math and sit there like, can I plink you to death? Okay, cool, got it. That's one of the reasons people people make a mistake with obliterators, and this could be my bias against obliterators showing. Um, but they look at obliterators from the I the averages say I'm strength eight minus two two damage. I can use command points and whatnot to fix it. And then sometimes I'll be three damage. That's awesome. Maybe three. That's awesome. Strength nine. That doesn't matter ever, but that's cool. Um, uh, but what actually happens is you, you don't average a three or four, three times in a row on 3D set on 3D threes. You average uh, one's going to be a five. One's going to get one. One's going to get two. And that's if you average that, you can also roll poorly and really poorly on obliterators fundamentally changes their their efficiency against certain units if you're shooting a target with three wounds each and you roll damage two if you're shooting intercessors and you roll damage one if you're shooting intercessors and in cover and you roll ap1 and you're they're still taking a three up save your math goes out the window your damage expectancy drops to nothing so there's so much volatility to obliterators whereas if you expect them to actually accomplish what you're doing and it requires you to actually roll x and y across your xyz strength ap damage role you're setting yourself up for disappointment and failure so the way mark's approaching it from a viewpoint perspective is way better and for once i don't hate it with <laughs> yeah it's one of those you, units, you hit on the noggle. yeah it's, it's one of those units uh, just thinking about it as a new player where you make your plans around the worst case scenario and then if they pleasantly surprise you great and then if you get behind in the game like you can go for bigger plays with them to get you back in a game if you get behind for some reason, you know, bad dice, whatever, make a mistake. Um, they're a unit that, that can actually pick you up because they can overperform, right, with some good dice. Would you say that's, that's accurate? True. That's very true. There's sometimes when I'm sitting there, I'm like, you know, I'm happy they do their job, but they rolled one damage. And then I look at someone, I'm like, I rolled the free damage. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, guy. Like, I want to give you a heads up. Like, I wasn't planning for this to be this good, but I'm sorry. As you pick up the rest, I'm like, well, <laughs> that was a bonus. That wasn't calculated in my plan. <laughs> They seem to kill extra wise if they just overachieve as a bonus. That's the mindset that you need to have. Yeah. I like I like how you're like, oh, I'm really sorry, but that was really good for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not planning on killing your whole army, but it happened. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Interesting. So I think I think we have a pretty good general feel for the list. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think that, that really covered it really well, I think. I think uh not that I didn't know it possessed bummed it before, but that was pretty in-depth as far as going over it. I was right, a so, little worried because my intro was bad. I'm sorry to everyone listening to this podcast. Like I just said, I'm like, oh my, oh yeah, I gotta break down this list. Oh my god, there's so many things to this list. Hold on, oh, yeah. it's a skill, you know. You'll get there, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> Mark like you said earlier, you're bad at English. It's okay. It's, yeah. it's, it's like it's like 
it's like your third language, right? It's I don't I don't. It's probably like fifth. <laughs> probably more gibberish ahead of like English. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn this podcast around here. I'm gonna get into dad mode here for a second. I think it's time for us to kind of wrap up the strategy discussion, um, and I think we'll move into part two where we'll get into the details of optimal play. Um, I really cannot wait, Mark, to hear how you dunk on Space Marines because I have a feeling that this list absolutely dunks on Space Marines. <laughs> confirm, got dunked on. Look, TJ, yeah. like like TJ show Nick the way. Now yeah. <laughs> he yeah. feels the pain. So like, and I'll just say really quick, if you haven't joined our Patreon yet, you know, I'd really hate for you to miss out us talking about how, how much this list dunks on Space Marines. It's just $6 a month. You can find it at AOW40K.com. And for all your patrons, part two is going to be ready to go. So we'll talk to you in a bit. And if you want even more content, Nick and I recorded a special episode about setting 40K goals. And all you have to do to get that is write us a review on Facebook Send a screenshot of it to our Gmail, which is aow40k at gmail.com, and we'll send that bonus episode right out to you, right, right via your email. So that's it. Thanks for tuning in. Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at aow40k.com, where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect on Facebook. Just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time.